Good morning. Um, really, none of us are competent to be up here in and of ourselves. Like as Paul says in Corinthians, uh, our competency comes by Christ and in Christ. Um, let me pray. God, God, just take this time, make it yours, and just as I testified before all these, I definitely acknowledge, Lord, that my, my competency is in you alone. Christ, you are everything. And so be glorified, worshiped, and honored through what is spoken today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, so it was the summer of 2006. It was Jen and I's first big mission trip uh, as staff with crew. It was, it was a college ministry. And uh, we were going to a, quote, closed country, uh, reaching students for Christ there, somewhat of a security risk because of their government. And one of our fellow crew staff brought one of his supporters as a volunteer. So he wasn't college age, um, but he wanted to come, and that happens sometime. That's great, no problem. Um, but in this instance, it turned out to be a big mistake. We'll call him Ben. Sorry if there's any Bens out there. Ben Ackerman, sorry. <laughs> uh, one late night, Jen and I were talking with a couple of our students on this trip, and they mentioned some of the things that Ben had started to say uh, on the trip, quite alarming things. Things like, the rest of us on this mission trip weren't uh, true Christians, or quite possibly weren't true Christians. And uh, so the next morning, uh, we go and investigate the trip, mission trip director and I, uh, and it turned out that Ben had come on the mission trip to reach us who were going, uh, not there to reach the people of that country that we were there to reach. He had, he had come to think uh, that his way of sharing the gospel was the only one right way to share it. And since we were sharing it, the way that we were sharing it, that we were poisoning people. And, and just so we're clear, like we were both sharing the same points of the gospel. Um, he was just switching the order of the points. Very small thing. But his way of sharing the gospel like definitely was another legitimate way to share it. And so what had happened is that a couple weeks into the trip, when Ben realized that he wasn't getting traction with any of us on his way to share the gospel, uh, he started to betray us to the person uh, that we were working with in the administration on that campus, telling them exactly why our American group was there on that campus. Uh, not just there to learn the language and the culture, uh, but, to, but with the primary intent of turning students from atheism to Christ. And if you know anything about missions in closed countries, that's about the worst possible thing that could have happened. The authorities at a university in the country finding out we were missionaries. Long story short, uh, we sent Ben home, and miraculously, the person that he told everything to didn't do anything about it. Uh, they just warned us, didn't tell their superiors or anything, and, and just praise God for that because we got to share the gospel with so many students that summer 
Never have I been in a place where almost all students were like, I really want to hear about this Jesus. It was amazing. So many, so many hungry students, so curious about Christ. So many came to Christ. I think Jen alone saw four girls come to Christ that summer and started discipling them. And so um, it turned out all right. But that was my first big taste of what I'll call divisiveness. When Christians turn on each other. That's what we'll be talking about this morning and next week. This is a little mini-series on unity because God has given me a huge heart for Christian unity. And so we'll be talking about it, the vision for it, but also the problems we have uh, with it. So two problems primarily we'll be looking at. First first slide. Uh, We don't divide when we should. And we divide when we shouldn't. And so for the first one, not dividing when we should, this is the problem of Christians staying unified with other so-called Christians that aren't Christ-centered, aren't biblical, maybe hypocritical. And then the second problem is that we divide with other Christians when we shouldn't. Not, um, did I just say that? Yeah, no. Yeah, we divide with other Christians when we shouldn't. We sabotage unity. And so both of these problems are happening in huge ways in our society, in our country. And so this week, I'll mostly be talking about the first problem. We don't divide when we should. And John 17 will be our springboard passage. This is one of the last recorded prayers of Jesus before his crucifixion. And uh, he prays for his disciples and for us as believers. And I'm just going to highlight a couple verses of his prayer. <clears throat> John 17, 11. Is Jesus praying once again. I will remain in the world no longer, but they, the disciples, are still in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. My prayer is not for them, the disciples, alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So that's down the line to us, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Unity amongst the people of God is so, so, so close to God's heart, like so serious. It's how he pursues the winning over of more souls, even if you see that. Next slide. So that the world may believe that Jesus is who he says he is. This is huge. And so I'm going to share something that has helped me immensely in my experience in interdenominational ministry for like 20 years. Something I've really grabbed hold of to live this John 17 out. I've had my struggles too. But something that has helped me out so much with remaining in fellowship with Christians who aren't like me, and it's also helped me to take a stand and divide in a loving way 
with people calling themselves Christians but who quite possibly aren't. It's called the three levels of belief. Uh, It's a classification system of different beliefs in order for us to know, once again, when to overlook things and still have fellowship with other believers and to know when to divide. And it was developed or compiled by a, a biblical scholar named Alan Scholes. I've studied this classification system, put it into practice, um, made it my own, expanded on it. And uh, so my experience is what I'm going to be sharing these two weeks. And really, one of the things I love about this is all Alan Scholes did was he looked at the epistles, especially Paul's letters to the churches, and took note of when did Paul divide with other so-called Christians and when he uh, instructed Christians to divide, to, um, sorry, when, when, Paul, when did Paul divide with other so-called Christians and when he instructed Christian, Christians to remain in fellowship with other Christians, even though there were differences. And once again, what I love about this is, is that it, Scripture is our authority. And that's what this is pulled from. Uh, Paul did not hold all of his beliefs on the same level of importance. And so let me give you an overview of these three levels of belief, and then I'll elaborate. So in the center circle are non-negotiables. These are central beliefs of the Christian faith, primarily the gospel, along with foundational things like the authority of Scripture, deity of Christ. These are non-negotiables for Christians. These are matters or teachings that are extremely clear in in Scripture. And the next circle is persuasions, which are negotiables. They're secondary. Uh, these are beliefs that we can be personally convinced of, but can still fellowship with other Christians who disagree since they are not foundational matters or matters central to the gospel. And then the next circle out are opinions, which are also negotiables. Uh, these are beliefs, desires, even wishes Uh, which aren't clearly taught in Scripture, uh, over which, once again, believers may legitimately differ. And basically, the main distinction between these two outer circles is that uh, opinions have even less scriptural support, if any, than persuasions. And so this week, I'll talk about the center circle, the non-negotiables, and we'll primarily address the problem of us, once again, not dividing when we should. And you might be thinking, okay, this series is on unity, but you're talking about dividing. And the reason for that is because in order to fight for unity, we need to know first when to legitimately divide. And so center circle, once again, these are central beliefs of the Christian faith that are non-negotiable for Christians, primarily the gospel. Primarily the gospel. So because... What we see in Scripture is that Paul divided and instructed Christians to divide whenever anyone was adding to the gospel or taking away from the gospel. And I'll explain those, but first I want to lay out what the gospel is uh, so we're clear on that. Just a concise way to share the gospel. We use these symbols, next slide, uh, to share the gospel sometimes. Um, So point one, the heart. God loves us and created us to know him personally. He's a personal God. But point two, the division sign. We're separated from God. 
We have sinned and have gone our own way, uh, personally and as collective humanity. And the penalty for sin is death, spiritual death, separation from God. But point number three, the cross. God sent his son, Jesus, to pay the death that we owed for our sin on the cross. He paid for it as our substitution. And he not only died, but he rose again to life, basically saying, I'm God and debt paid. And then now point four, the decision the free gift of God's forgiveness of sin and salvation is being offered to us and to the whole world free of charge. We have a decision to make to accept it or reject it. And if we accept it, we simply put our faith or trust in Christ to make us right with God rather than trust in our own efforts or goodness. John Piper um, says that, the de- or kind of explains faith as falling. Faith is just falling in Jesus' arms. It's not trying hard. It's actually surrendering and saying, I can't try hard enough to be good enough for you, God. I fall in your hands, in the hands of your son to pay for my sin. This is the essence of the gospel. And so when I refer to the gospel moving forward, this is what I'm referring to, these four points. And once again, Paul divided and instructed Christians to divide whenever anyone was adding to the gospel or taking it away. And so we'll talk about adding to the gospel first. Galatians 1 is one of the prime examples. Paul writes, verse 6, I am astonished that you, the Galatians, are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. That's what I shared. That's what I just shared. How it's not talking about good enough, it's grace, it's unmerited, it's undeserved, and yet he still gives it to us. That these Galatians are so quickly deserting the one who called you to them to live in the grace of Christ and are now turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, Paul says, even if we, or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. That's not light language. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Paul was talking about so-called Christians in the Galatian church who were adding works to Jesus for salvation. They were adding rules and adding that we need to be good enough in following those rules for salvation. And so Paul divided. He spoke very strongly. He was fiercely protective of the gospel of God's grace. Earning heaven, earning God's acceptance and love through being good enough is what every other religion in this world is about. But not so with what God has revealed through Jesus, the way, the truth, the life. But even as we see here in Galatians, people who think they're Christians can also add to the gospel. 
And these guys were doing it theologically, and we have that today, theologically. Maybe some denominations or cults. But even more insidious is how every one of us is tempted to add to the gospel. We are tempted to start attributing our salvation to Jesus and fill in the blank. And the most prominent way we do this here in so many Christians in the States is Jesus and how well I'm following Jesus. And then we'll talk about this next week, how we're tempted to add to the gospel by moving negotiable Next slide, yeah, once again, those negotiable and opinion-level beliefs into the center circle. It could be things like predestination, free will, or even things like some politics, or parenting methods, or things like Ben in the beginning story, simply how one shares the gospel. We're going to divide over that. We are tempted to divide with other believers when we shouldn't. We're tempted to add to the gospel and divide with others unnecessarily. That's what we'll be focusing on next week. But once again, this week is about not dividing when we should and letting Paul inform us when we are to divide. Divisions in so many ways, when they're called for, aren't happening in this country We talked about adding to the gospel, what that means. So now we'll talk about taking away from the gospel. One place Paul talks about this is 1 Corinthians 5. Paul says in verse 9, and he talks about this in a couple different places. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, in other words, claims to be a Christian, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. Paul says here that we are to divide with people claiming to be Christians, but unrepentantly walking in sin. And when you take this along with the entirety of Scripture and instruction, we know that he's not talking about Christians who are struggling with sin, even habitual sin. He's not talking about Christians struggling with sin. He's talking about people calling themselves Christians but having no conviction of conscience in regards to sin. In other words, they're okay with it. They're not regularly confessing it and apologizing. And so the question is, how is this taking away from the gospel? Next slide. Remember, the gospel involves point two. Point two is that we are sinful. If we don't admit our sin, then we won't admit our need for a Savior, Jesus. The Christians that Paul is referring to here are taking away from the gospel 
because they are not calling sin, sin in their lives. And that's taking out a whole chunk of the gospel. Paul is saying we are to divide with hypocritical Christians like this. An example of this is a huge issue right now in our country and pretty much internationally too in denominations is when a Christian says that a same-sex lifestyle is okay. There is clear teaching throughout the Bible on that. This is a really big issue facing the integrity and soundness of true Christians in our day. Many, many Christians, instead of standing up for biblical truth, instead of lovingly dividing with people, calling themselves Christians but affirming same-sex relations, they're just going along with it. Instead of calling sin, sin. They're taking away from the gospel, taking away a deep need for our Savior. That's one big way this is happening. If you have questions about that, let me know after this. Another example of taking away the gospel is when Christians or churches join the current of our culture that says that there are many ways to God, not just Jesus. This is taking away from the gospel. It's taking away from Jesus' own statements that he is the way, the truth, the life, not a way to God, but the way, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. And once again, why? Why does he say he's the way? Because he's the only payment for our sin before a just and holy God. There's no other payment for sin. It's either us us paying for our sin and being separated from God for all eternity or Jesus paying for our sin and being separated from God for three days and, and raising victorious over it. When we don't divide with people calling themselves Christians who are taking away from the gospel, we are complicit in misrepresenting Jesus to a watching world. And it's happening a lot right now. And just a reminder here in 1 Corinthians 5. I just want to reiterate. When Paul says don't associate with them, he's talking about people claiming to be Christians. That is a huge distinction. He's not talking about people who say they are not Christian. We are called to be salt and light and remain in the world. In order to be that salt and light and spend time with non-Christians and to reach them. But one big question that I have, and maybe you're having too, is if we're called to divide, like how do we do that? What does that look like? Um, Practically, what does it look like present day in our culture to divide? Is it just denying membership to our to our church, is that, is that it or is it more? And this is a hard question. And one of the reasons that it's hard is because the religious and cultural landscape that we live in is, is very different than back then. For example, we have a lot of, a lot of Christians in this country that say they're Christian, but they don't, they don't go to church, they don't, have, um, they don't know what they believe. That is not how it was back in Paul's day in that time. 
And unfortunately, how healthy division should look is unspecified in the Bible. Um, And how long a hypocritical Christian goes before we divide with them is unspecified. And so it requires wisdom in a case-by-case approach. It's why God has given us his Holy Spirit to live inside of us, alongside the Bible, to give us instruction. But we do know this about dividing and how to do it. Found in Scripture, in one of the instances that Paul instructs it. Next slide, 2 Thessalonians 3, 14 to 15. Paul says, take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. So I'm going to stop there real quick. However we divide with people calling themselves Christians present day, it should confound or upset them in some way. It should produce some of this ashamed feeling. It should confound or upset them in some way. Why? Verse 15, yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Like, we, we, we work for the restoration of these Christians. Paul mentions here the proper motivation and tone for the situation calling to divide. So this isn't a license to be nasty. Far from it. It's so that they turn back from their ways. The goal is for that person's restoration. In other words, it's out of a love for them. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians have done this really poorly. Really poorly. Where they divide, yes, over legitimate issues, but they divide spitefully or hatefully or bitterly. And not in the manner that we're supposed to divide as we're instructed treating them as a brother, not an enemy. And people, I mean, people who call themselves Christians are all, I mean, we are all in process. I mean, there were times when I was a young believer that I believed really not good things. But I was seeking the Lord. And in his timing, he corrected those things because honestly, there were gentle Christians around me. That is the posture that we're called to have is gentleness, but in a way that creates that confoundedness that, ups- that actually does upset. We are living in times where the need for dividing with others who call themselves Christians is growing. And so, yes, we need to do it, but then we also need to do it the right way. May the Lord help us. And so nearing the end of this time, uh, I just want to quickly tackle, like, okay, why don't we divide when we should? Like, what are some underlying reasons? What are the root issues? And I thought of a few people-pleasing. Fear of man. Fear of conflict. Fear of, you know, not being liked. Fear for our reputation. Fear of, of turning someone away from Jesus. Like, what if I go about this the wrong way? That's a legitimate fear. Fear, 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 though. It's fear. Where people are bigger to us than God. This morning is an opportunity to acknowledge that fear.
and to turn to God. And, and maybe you don't struggle with, with um, the hot button issues on a societal level, but maybe there's a person who calls themselves a Christian in your life that you could lovingly call out like they're not walking the walk and they don't have conviction of sin, but you're afraid. <clears throat> I can't tell you how many times I've met with guys, especially college guys, where they told me that defining moments in their lives and in their Christian walk happened when someone lovingly called them out. So let's not let fear keep us from loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and praise God, like he's given us his Holy Spirit to empower us. So I'm gonna end with this, Acts 4. After they prayed, the disciples, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is giving us boldness to lovingly and gently divide and confront when we're called to. So I'm going to pray for that. Um, God, <clears throat> Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to fill us with boldness in times such as these. Lord, we know you are sovereign and in control and we've seen even through church history all the divisions and the hate in the church and yet your kingdom still advanced. I mean, God, you are sovereign. But we know, and, and even with Jesus' prayer, you, you, you say that the world will know through our unity. So may this also be a time of unprecedented unity in your people, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us to have wisdom and discernment when we're called to divide. Give us courage, Lord, to face our fears. And then, God, we know that another role of your Holy Spirit and the fruit of your Spirit in our lives is, is love. And so, Lord, help us to do this out of love. Help us to love people like we've never loved before. Show us more of your love for people that we would be bold. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. God, thanks. You're so good to us. Amen.